Let's get ready to roll. Lead Like a Lady features amazing women at the top of their game who know what it's like to be the only woman in the room. They're here to share their stories, inspire greatness, and provide advice to all the women coming up behind them. Now, here's your host, Army veteran and retired FBI assistant special agent in charge, Gina L. Osborne. Welcome to Lead Like a Lady. I'm your host, Gina L. Osborne. Our show today is a little different than what we normally do. Usually, I interview remarkable women who have risen to the top of male-dominated fields. Today, I'm interviewing a remarkable young woman who is on the rise, which is especially inspiring. Abigail Olson began her culinary career at 15 when she was accepted into a vocational school food program. She graduated from the prestigious Culinary Institute of America by age 19. Abigail was later hired to work at a Michelin three-star restaurant, Alinea, in Chicago. By the ripe old age of 24, Abigail became the first senior sous chef to work for Alinea's executive chef, Grant Atkins. I love to speak with young women in male-dominated fields about leadership. Listening to their experiences takes me back to 1987 when I entered Army basic training at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Yes, it was extreme, and I, along with 39 other women in my platoon, got the lesson loud and clear. We were going to dress like men, act like men, train like men, and our goal was to become warriors. The first few days of being yelled at, demoralized, and hut-hut-hutted around seemed like a nightmare for this Orange County girl. If one of us bumped into the other and said, sorry, my drill sergeant would yell, sorry, are you a pitiful private? Then we'd be marched to a muddy hill and ordered to roll down it till we were pitiful no more. The interesting part is all the fear and intimidation for me evaporated in about a week. Like my dad told me before I left, they can kill you, but they can't eat you. Once I realized they wouldn't put their hands on me, my skin got tougher and I learned how not to take things personally. Looking back, that set the stage to build the confidence and courage that blazed my trail. This is why I was so excited to speak with Abigail. Now sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired. Abigail, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so honored that you, you wanted to have me on your podcast. You are a chef in your mid-20s and have been wildly successful during your relatively short career. I'm curious to know, what has driven you to get you where you are today? The way I feel is, you know, they say, if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And obviously the work is hard, but this is something that I love so much. I, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. I couldn't see myself sitting at a desk. So this is something that I'm so passionate about. So what else is there to spend my time doing? This is 100% my focus. 
And if I work 14 hour days, that was my priority. That's what I want to be doing with my time. I want to be getting better every day. I want to learn and absorb as much as I can so I can create the best product possible because the reason that I love it so much is I think food is so important because we have to eat food to live. And so if you have to do it, then I think that it should be something wonderful. And on the other side of it with dessert, of course, you don't you don't need to have dessert. You don't have to have pastries. It's more of a luxury. But when I get to make something for someone else to show my love or appreciation for them and they eat it and they, you know, close their eyes and and they say, oh, my gosh, this is so good. And it genuinely is something that makes them happy. That is what fulfills me. That's really the the only thing I, I really want to spend my time doing. Not a lot of people are fortunate to have that much passion and love what they do. I found being an FBI agent was more of a calling than a career. Do you realize how lucky you are to have that? Yes. I, I only applied to culinary schools. And I, I remember in high school, some of my friends... They didn't know what they wanted to do, and they applied for all of these different schools. And even now when I talk to people, they say, you're so lucky that you always knew what you wanted to do. And, and I realize that it's not you know, such an easy decision for everyone, and they don't have something that they're so passionate about. But being in the food industry, and especially working at a place like Alinea, you meet a lot of passionate people. Because in order to survive there, you you really have to be passionate about it and you really have to love it. But I am aware that it's not so easy for everyone. You talk about survival in the kitchen. What do you mean by that? It's very important to be able to keep your composure because I think as a woman in that environment, you know, the, the chefs will yell and stuff sometimes. I think I was told in that kitchen, probably more than anyone else, if, if I yelled that they don't want to hear it or to stop. So I was kind of forced in, not, not forced, but I was really pushed into being able to compose myself and, and lead in a constructive way. Because I think it's seen as very emotional or overreactive if we were to react to a stressful situation um, the same way a man would. And, you know, it makes you grow up. I learned to be very focused and very disciplined. And one thing I, I never really felt in that kitchen is uh, chef Grant Ackett is the chef owner of that restaurant. And especially when I got promoted, I, I never felt like I was promoted because I was a woman or and they wanted to diversify the team. Or I, I believe that Chef Ackett just wants to have people that can do the job and do it well. And he doesn't really care, you know, of your your gender or your race. He wants a good team, 
and and he will do whatever it takes to create that team which is something that that I've really appreciated and I understand that not all women in this industry have been treated that way so I feel very fortunate to have been at a restaurant that that just valued our work above all like you Abigail I know what it's like to be yelled at by a man <laughs> repeatedly in the workplace while part of your work environment is having a man yelling at you, yeah. what is your strategy in not taking it personally? The goal is to have a successful service. And so when they yelled at me, I didn't even have time to think, oh, this is embarrassing. And I would have been someone that would have been embarrassed by that. You know, I messed up. I, you know, whatever. But you don't have time to be embarrassed. And since my only goal was to do whatever I needed to do to make sure that we had a good service, the way that I feel never correlated with whether or not we had a good service. I, I could have felt horrible. I could have been in a bad mood. But in the moment that it's happening, you know, they're yelling at me because I did something wrong. My mindset wasn't, poor me, I did something wrong, it's okay, I did something wrong, and, and I need to fix it so we can have a successful service. I love that you figured that out so early on in your career, because so many times when we take things personally, it immediately becomes all about us, and then we put the mission and our priorities on the back burner, wasting so much of our energy feeling like we've been personally violated, whether we have or we're just imagining it. Um, and we could be spending that energy on increasing our performance and achieving our goals if we didn't make it all about us. I always tell people, figure out which hill you want to die on because you can't die on every hill. Yes. And, and, I was at a point in that restaurant where, and, and I've seen this, it happened to me, I've seen it happen when I was a manager to other people. And if you get yelled at so much, because it's, it's a very trial and error, you know, it's such a fast paced environment that they don't always have time to stop and say, this is how it needs to be. And this is exactly how you need to do it. And when things are going so fast, you kind of need to make split second decisions. And sometimes you make the wrong decision and the rest of your night kind of snowballs into almost a disaster. And then you get yelled at and then you get scared to, that you're going to make the wrong decision. And then it kind of snowballs. So at one point when I was a chef de partie, I kind of dug myself into this hole of getting yelled at and then being scared and getting too inside of my head, making the wrong decision. And then I would get yelled at and, and it kind of kept going. And one of the chefs pulled me aside one night after service, the chef de cuisine at the time, and he said, I've seen you work before and I, I don't think this is you and I don't know what's going on with you. Maybe it's a lack of confidence, but you, you really need to kind of dig yourself out of the, this hole. And, you know, it wasn't a, a quick change after that. It's not like that magically fixed everything because 
really it's just up to the person to find that confidence within themselves and and get out of their head and start making the right decisions and and start learning and improving you're the only person that can dig yourself out of that hole and it took me a couple of months but i worked on that i worked on my leadership and then about 6 months after that i started you know doing really well when i dug myself out of that hole and i started showing them how i could actually work i got promoted again to a tornot um which is you are no longer assigned a specific station but you float around the kitchen you help the sous chefs you help out whoever needs help and you make sure that service goes smoothly where did you find the confidence to dig yourself out of that hole because the environment didn't seem to change i don't know if if i can exactly pinpoint it the way that i i look at things is when you first start something that you've never done before and you don't really fully understand you're not just going to start doing it and be amazing so i look at a success a personal success if every night i was improving or if every week i was improving even if i wasn't doing perfectly I knew that I was on the right track once I started making the correct, you know, snapshot decisions. And each night my my night was personally, not in the whole goal of let's have a good service, but personally I was having a better night each night and contributing more and more to the team. So once you kind of it's kind of like the same snowball effect when you're going down except this time you're going up and instead of focusing on the things that you're messing up you're focusing on hey I I did this and that was a good decision and and you have to keep going with that flow otherwise you're never going to get out Did the fear ever go away being yelled at by your boss I think that there's always pressure on you. I don't think the pressure always goes away, but I think the fear of of making the wrong decision goes away a little bit because there's only a couple of outcomes, right? You make a decision and if it's right, then then you're good and you've learned something. and you can carry that on to the next night or the next situation when you have to make a similar decision. And if you make the wrong decision, you're going to get yelled at and that's the way you're going to learn from it. And you have to make sure to not make that same mistake again. So I think there's always a little bit of fear. Of course, no one wants to mess up. You don't want to you don't want to bring the team down and you don't want to feel bad. Um so that fear is always there but it controls your decision making much less. I think once we figure out failure is part of the journey to success, we can set aside the compulsion to be perfect and give ourselves the grace when we make mistakes instead of beating ourselves up. Did you have a role model or mentor to help you through this process? 
So I, I didn't have one person in the kitchen to look up to. There were several and, and even some people that were just my coworkers. So I didn't pick one person and say, I want to be just like them. I looked at one chef and I, I remember he was the chef de cuisine at the time. He later became executive chef and he would stand with his hands on the pass where we plate the food and he would just be surveying the kitchen. And I looked at him and I said, I want to be able to be as focused as him. And then I looked at the executive chef and he brought such a balance to the kitchen. He was so approachable. Even though it was a very stressful environment, he made it fun and he was able to joke around, but he was also very good at his job. And I said, I want to, you know, be able to bring that balance. I looked at the sous chefs and, and they knew the whole kitchen and they always knew who needed help. And so I kind of picked things from, from each role model I had and knowing that I didn't necessarily have to be exactly like just one of them, but being able to pick out things that could guide me from each one of them and using that to become a leader and, and become the well-rounded chef that I really wanted to become. What is your goal? Where do you see yourself five or 10 years down the line? My ultimate goal is to become someone that I wish I had when I was coming up. I always envisioned, you know, this perfect place or or this perfect bakery or having a mentor or something. I want to be that for someone else that's coming up. Eventually, I would like to have a business. I don't know if that's five or 10 years away. But I would love to have a place that's a bakery in the morning and then at night um, is kind of like a wine bar and, and a place to re relax that just has really good food, the food that, that brings me joy, that I can share it with other people. I love that you're already having the desire and seeing the need to be a person who helps others coming up behind you. When I look back on my career, some of what I consider my greatest successes came from developing future leaders. You said you work 14 hours a day. How do you strike a work-life balance keeping those hours? Working that much, you pretty much hang out with the people that you work with or other people in the food industry. It's very, very difficult to have a life, I guess. And on the weekends, you are very tired. I mean, there's no other way about it. It's, it's really difficult. And I think that's where the passion comes into play. That's why not many people would spend so much of their life doing this. But you know, when you're passionate about it, it's basically the only thing that that you're really concerned about. And the place that I work now, I work at a bakery. And so I do work less hours and I work earlier in the morning. So I have the afternoon free. So I'm really just now learning how to take care of myself and 
have a life, which is, it, 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 it has been challenging. I, I realized that it was almost easier knowing that all I had to do every day was wake up, go to work, go back home, have a bite to eat, go to sleep, and then do the same thing in the morning. And now I'm really learning how to decide what to do with my time, which is maybe sounds strange, but it's it's been a, a kind of difficult transition. And something that I really learned in terms of taking care of yourself as a woman in that environment was kind of a difficult journey. I, I remember looking at these men, you know, I was one of uh, four sous chefs. There were three senior sous chefs, which one of them was me. And then there was another sous chef and all three of them were men. And I remember looking at them and, and saying, you know, why don't I feel like I'm so much more stressed out with them? Why can they handle it so much better? And I got to a point, we we were working so much, we were very short-staffed, and, you know, it's hard to make sure that you're drinking enough water and, and you know, going to the bathroom. And that may sound a little bit strange, but I w- had actually gotten a few UTIs in a row. Uh, eventually, I had gotten a kidney infection from one of them because I didn't take care of it. And when you're so busy in the kitchen, you don't want to go offline. You don't want to leave the kitchen, even if it's just to go to the bathroom. And I'm looking at these guys and I'm like, well, they never, you know, they never leave the kitchen. And, and when I got the kidney infection, I had to go to the emergency room. I had to be on an IV. I was out of work for five days. You know, I felt horrible. I really realized at that point that I can still do the same things that these guys can do. I can still perform as well. But as a woman, I really need to make sure that I'm doing this work that men don't necessarily have to do to take care of of my body, my, my body that is making me able to perform this job. And it was really a struggle when I had to leave to go to the emergency room. The only people I had to talk to were the chefs who were men to say, hey, I I have to take care of this. I'm sick. And that really opened my eyes to we can have the same job and we can be equally as good at it. But I really do need to take care of myself in a different way. That is so true. You can expand that out to so many areas where we as women need to embrace that we have these certain things that may or may not apply to the male-dominated environment that we work in. Childcare is the perfect example. We as women can't beat ourselves up if we have to leave early because we've got a sick kid that we have to pick up from school. Because if a man does it, he's a great dad. Once we realize some things just are what they are, we can use that energy that we use to beat ourselves up and use it for something productive. Earlier, you talked about finding your passion. What advice do you have for women who are searching to 
find that passion? I would say that if you're searching for your passion, you shouldn't be looking for a place or a job that you are necessarily happy doing all the time. We're humans. We're never going to be happy all the time. There are always going to be downsides to every job. There's always going to be something that you don't like doing. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're not passionate about it. If you're passionate about something, you should be looking for something that you care about almost more than anything. You care about the outcome and you know, you care about the people that would be working with that you have common interests as you. But I don't think it's a bad sign if you're doing something and you have hard days. That doesn't mean that it's not your passion. That just means that it's hard and all good things that are worth doing are going to be hard at times. They're going to be challenging. Are you a perfectionist? I don't know if I would say that I'm a perfectionist, but I would say that I am very meticulous in the things that I do. For me, I think that that maybe I hold myself to a different standard, you know, when I make something or when I'm producing something. And it is a little bit difficult for me to to hold others to that same standard. Abigail, are there any weaknesses that you feel you need to improve? It's difficult for me to separate how I feel about someone in the workplace and, you know, how I guess I feel about their performance. It's a little bit difficult to me if I really like someone or if I feel a connection with someone. It's a little bit difficult for me to say, hey, you know, this is wrong and, and you need to redo it in, in a constructive way because I really, I don't really like making people feel bad or I don't want them, you know, I'm very concerned with how they would feel and, and as a leader with the goal being to have a successful service or, or have the best product, bringing so much emotion into it is is not always constructive. Of course, you have to have compassion and and things like that, but it's not the most constructive way to to go about things. And sometimes people will take advantage of that if they see that in you. Having that empathy, do you ever see yourself eventually becoming that executive chef who yells at everybody? I'm not going to sit here and say that I never, you know, yelled in that kitchen, but in this new job that I that I have, I started just a couple of months ago in this bakery. They never yell there. What I've realized is that it's really easy when you're angry and you're super stressed out and and things are moving so fast, it's easy to yell at someone it's it's feels good to release that emotion and it's actually much more difficult to be able to step back from the situation and fix it in a constructive way so i don't think that i would like to handle things like that anymore i really w- am working on being 
the best leader that I can be. And that's not something that's a part of becoming that. What advice do you have for the women coming up both beside you and behind you? But uh, just a couple of days ago, I was thinking about why you wanted me to be on the podcast. And the first thing that always comes to my mind is kind of, you know, well, why would she, why would she want to have me on her, her podcast? You know, I didn't do this alone. And I think that I, I really felt like, and, and I don't know if, if other women feel like this, but, but maybe you can't take full credit for, for what you've accomplished because people have helped you or, you know, they've, they've helped pave the way. But then I was thinking, well, if I had failed, you know, whatever my definition of failure in that kitchen was, what, if I, if I walked out or if I quit within a month because it was too hard, whatever my definition was, I wouldn't have said, well, I failed, but I didn't do it alone. So I think that it's important for women to take a step back and really appreciate the value that they bring to whatever team they're on. The reality of it is, is no one does anything alone. You know, everyone at some point has inspiration or someone that has helped them at least a little bit along the way. So the notion of I, I didn't do this alone, therefore the value that I bring to the team is less is not really relevant. And it doesn't mean that you don't bring value. So in order to move forward, I think it's really important to take a step back every once in a while. And it doesn't mean that you're conceited. It just means that you can evaluate the value you bring. And then based on that, you can decide, well, I want to start bringing this value or I want to stop doing that. And I think that's something that's really important that will, that will help anyone really grow in their job and grow into a leader. You know, I don't, I can't think of one guest that I've had on the show that would say that their success is based on what they did alone. In mm -hmm. fact, Brenda Robinson, who was in season one and she uh, was the first female African-American Navy pilot. And she even said that while she was going through the Academy, that she had a group of her classmates who were going to make sure that she was going to make it through. So I don't think any great leader makes it to the top by themselves because they learn so much from other people. And, and like you do, they, they, you know, see other people and they try to emulate the good things that they see. So the reason why I wanted to have you on the show was based on our first conversation where you impressed the hell out of me. So <laughs> if you're looking for an answer as to why it is I brought you on the show, it is because you are one impressive lady. Thank you. Yeah. And I listened to the Brenda Robinson episode and, and maybe that's what kind of, you know, sparked that thought. I, I remember exactly what you're talking about. She, you know, they would help her study and she was kind of annoyed by it. And, and there was the, the one uh, classmate that she had that said that he would do anything to, to make sure she got through. And, and it kind of reminded me of, of my one friend 
who is now, he's actually the executive chef at Alinea. And, you know, I remember that everyone in the kitchen knew that I was kind of like his little sister and they wouldn't, they wouldn't mess with me. Maybe they didn't like me as much or, or, or whatever, but, but they, they wouldn't, uh, you know, mess with me. And I think that, you know, having someone that's there for you and on your side is, is something special that you, you know, have that connection with that person and, and it, it really helps, you know, your journey. Well, I think your potential is endless, Abigail, and I wish you the best. And I thank you for being on the show. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It was, this is something that I love talking about. So any opportunity I I can get, I'll always talk about it. Thank you for joining us on Lead Like a Lady. If you enjoyed this episode and are feeling inspired, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite listening platform. Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne is produced and edited by Lisa Osborne. Theme music is Leading Lady by retired IRS criminal investigation attache Clarissa Balmaceda featuring Alex Castillo. Find us on social media through GinaLosborne.com slash Lead Like a Lady. And don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne wherever you get your podcasts.